Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We start a new Bible study series today. Uh, we want to spend the next several weeks talking about generous giving. Generous giving. Now, if that means you're ready to get up and go now, you can. You can, you can. Yeah, I, I understand, because usually when you start talking about giving, folk ready to get up and go. But, you know, to, to be totally honest, we don't spend a whole lot of time here talking about giving. Uh, uh, we thank God that that foundation was laid by those who came before us. And, and on the whole, this church does extremely well when it comes to giving. But it is my responsibility as your pastor to remind you from time to time that giving is a part of our service to the Lord. It's a part of our worship to God. And uh, what I want to focus on for the next several weeks is, is generosity. And the, the, the subject is generous giving. Everybody in here heard giving. What you didn't hear was generous. Generous giving. And I want the emphasis to be on generous or generosity. Because I think that it is important that we understand that's what God wants from us. He wants our giving to be generous. How does our relationship with God shape our views on money? How does our giving affect our relationship with God? How does God use our giving to change us? These are the three significant questions that we want to explore over the next several weeks. How we answer these questions speaks to our understanding of the worship of God as being more than just the activities that we engage in in a corporate worship experience. When we think of worship as an activity, we think primarily in terms of what we do when we gather uh, on a Sunday morning portion. We think primarily of singing, of praying, of reading scripture, of proclamation, things of that sort. But a significant aspect of our worship of God is reflected in our attitudes regarding money and giving. Scripture teaches that our giving should be done with generosity. And, 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 and I would hope that we would recognize the importance of generosity in our giving. I've been reading a book over the past couple of weeks uh, entitled Extravagant Generosity. It's written by 
uh, Bishop of the United Methodist Church, a man by the name of Robert Schnees. It's not a long book at all. If you want to go pick it up, it's written by Abington Press. You can read it probably in an afternoon. It probably wouldn't take all the afternoon to read it. But in this book, Schnees, uh, and I hope I pronounced his name right, Schnees or Schnees, makes the compelling argument that in our discipleship walk with Christ, we must mature to the place that we have moved from an attitude of stewardship to one of generosity. There's a difference. And, and, and we're going to make the distinction right now. Most of us think about giving as a form of stewardship. It's our stewardship responsibility. At the church I used to serve, there was a minister who used to pray from time to time, Lord, bless all those that I'm duty bound to pray for. <laughs> he didn't mean any harm by that, but, but, but he, he was speaking in terms that Serving people and, and, and blessing people and working with people and loving people was a duty to be performed rather than a part of a character change that we undergo when Christ becomes Lord of our lives. In the same way, stewardship, as we talk about stewardship, as preachers talk about stewardship, as, as, as teachers talk about stewardship, stewardship is talked about more as a duty, as a chore, as a responsibility, and not as a reflection of our generous character that has undergone transformation because of Jesus Christ. Consequently, you can do your duty and do it well and still not have a changing character. God doesn't just want the duty. God wants the change in the character. Every Sunday when, when, when the offering is going forth, uh, we, we, we quote that passage that says God loves a cheerful giver. And, and, and by the way, we're going to, over the next several weeks, we're going to lift up every single one of those passages that y'all been hearing those passages forever. You heard it before I got here because I got them from my father. Honor the Lord now with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse. Do you all know where those passages come from? Up, and don't say the Bible because we all know that it comes from the Bible. I mean, do, do, do you know from where they came? Do you know the context in which those, because what we have done is we have pieced together different passages of scripture that speak to the aspect of giving and we have put them out there as if it is a, a, a written text on giving. It is not. Each one of those passages come from other places in Scripture. And just as I have told you before, there's a danger in eisegesis because you can pull Scriptures out and prop them up and make them mean something other than what they mean within their context. Well, when I do that every Sunday, I'm practicing eisegesis. 
So it's important that we go back and look at the passages within the context of the, of the scripture and the setting in which they are given to make sure that we get the proper meaning from what the passage is intended to say. One of those passages is don't give grudgingly nor of necessity for God loves a cheerful give. Well, you can be a steward and not be cheerful about it. So, 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 so if your goal is simply to be a good steward, did you know that you could be a good steward and not be cheerful about being a good steward? Some of y'all been working a job, or, or now you thank God you retired from your job, but you worked a job for 30 years, and you might have been a, a good employee and hated getting up going to work every day. Amen. It's, it's not enough to do the job. It's not enough to, 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 to understand the responsibility. It's not enough to meet the responsibility. God wants us to do it from a joyful, generous heart. For God, it's not about the money. God don't need your money. It belongs to him in the first place. The earth is the Lord's, fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. It's not that God needs your money. We worship God through our giving so that we honor him and that his work can continue to go forward. But, but, but the work was going on before you got here. The work was going on before you got your raise. And, and, and by the way, when you got your raise, did you raise the Lord? Because some of us don't do that. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Jesus. It's not that God needs your money. God wants your attitude. He wants your generosity. So today I, I, I want to frame the discussion that we're going to have over the next several weeks. And, and I want to frame it this way. I want to talk about the distinction between stewardship and generosity. I'm not trying to suggest that stewardship is a bad thing. It is not a bad thing at all. But I'm saying that stewardship is arithmetic. Generosity is calculus. Does that make sense to you? Ain't nobody get that at all. Stewardship is arithmetic. Y'all know what arithmetic is, right? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Generosity is calculus. It's built upon stewardship, but it's so much farther beyond stewardship. It has to do with a converted heart. So let's start by understanding what stewardship is. And, and for many of you, for most of you, perhaps for all of you, this is review, but it's good to review from time to time. What is stewardship? Stewardship is properly using or properly managing 
the resources that have been entrusted into our care. It is understanding that we are not self-possessed, but that we belong to God. Therefore, if we belong to God, everything that we have belongs to God. God is our creator. We've already quoted, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And God has delegated authority over the earth and the earth's creature to us, to humanity. It, it, it was to Adam, after everything was created, that God said, your responsibility is to care for everything that I have put in this world. That is our charge. But even though God delegated authority to us, there is no record in Scripture where God transferred ownership of us to anybody else. We belong to him. And everything that he has put in our care belongs to him. Therefore, when you start using the stuff that God has entrusted into your care, it's important that you remember that it ain't yours. From time to time, I have to have this conversation, or I used to have to have this conversation with my children when they talked about my room. <laughs> what you coming in my room for? You ain't got no room. You don't pay no mortgage. The room that you have is the room that we have assigned to you for a period of time. And, 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 and after a period of time, it's time for you to find another room. It doesn't belong to you. Nothing that God has put in our care belongs to us. It all belongs to him. That includes us. We are his redeemed possession. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, don't you know that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. So not only are we not our own because we didn't create ourselves, we are not our own because we did not redeem ourselves. So then we belong to God not once, but twice. Our redemption means that the value, the intrinsic value that God placed within us, that we discarded, that we threw away when we chose to sin, Jesus bought back for us and gave back to us so that we could fulfill the charge, the call that God placed on our lives originally, which was to care for his world. Stewardship in, in, involves our glorifying God. It is the conduit by which we glorify God. It is learning that we serve God by choice, not by constraint and that we do so with grateful hearts. That's what stewardship is. What is a steward? 
A steward is a householder. Literally, the word means householder, manager, or trustee. All of us, even if you don't come to church, all of us are stewards in that all of us are created by God. All of us are responsible to God with what he has entrusted to us. The fact that you choose not to worship him doesn't relieve you of that responsibility. So the question is not, am I a steward? The question is, what kind of steward am I? You're either a good steward or a bad steward. And scripture tells us that all of us will have to give an account of our stewardship at some point in the future. So, we are stewards because God has entrusted things into our care. In that we want to be good stewards, in that when we give an account, we want to be able to give a positive report. The next question that we need to ask is, what is a good steward? A good steward is the person who asks, what would Jesus do? And then do it. You know, some of us ask, what would Jesus do? And then when we, when we realize what Jesus would do, well, I ain't Jesus. <laughs> I ain't going to do that. No, it, it involves more than just asking, what would Jesus do? After you've asked, what would Jesus do? You have to take the next step and make a commitment to doing it. Good stewards have control over the things that have been entrusted into their care and don't let the things that have been entrusted into their care have control over them. Quite often, the, 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 the big tragedy in life is that our stuff controls us rather than us controlling our stuff. Took too long to get this stuff. Now you're trying to get me to, to, to give it up. Have you ever read the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham was 100 years old when, when, when God finally blessed him and Sarah with Isaac. And then God says to Abraham, take, take, take Isaac. Take him up on a hill and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Show me that you love me. Be willing to give back to me that which I have given to you. Many of us work and we struggle and we, we scrimp and we save and we pray and we long and some of us cheat and lie in order to get the stuff that we want. You ain't got to say amen to that part. I know it's true. <laughs> and then once we get it, the stuff becomes our master. And we start thinking in terms of what happens to my stuff if I do what Jesus would have me to do. Jesus tells a parable about that. He says that there was a man who was beaten and left for dead on, on, on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And two religious folk came by, a priest and a Levite. 
And both of them looked at the man lying there, bleeding in the road, dying in the road. And both of them walked over the man and kept on going. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says that, that, that when they looked at the man, they asked the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to my stuff? Maybe, maybe the bandits are still around. Maybe I'm going to lose all my stuff if I hang around too long. He says, but when the Samaritan came by, he asked a different question. If I don't stop to help this man, then what happens to him? That's, that, that's the difference between us being in control of our stuff and our stuff being in control of us. Good stewards recognize that the stuff that we have been given has been given to us to be used to God's glory and to the service of our fellow man. That stewardship revolves around three things in general terms. It revolves around our time, our talent, and our treasure. See, I kept it in all T's, all, all, all alliteration. <laughs> time, talent, and treasure. Somebody was saying money, no, treasure, because treasure is a T. <laughs> Get it? All right. Make sure y'all paying attention. Stewardship involves proper management of these things. The drawback on stewardship, what I have described is not a bad thing. The drawback on stewardship has nothing to do with, with the charge. It has to do with the attitude. All of us know people. And perhaps some of us are the people that we know who base their activity solely on duty and responsibility, but get no joy out of what they're doing. It is a shame to live your life miserable all the time. It is a shame to think that serving the Lord is a duty that we have to fulfill and not a pleasure and a privilege that he gives to us every day. And the difference lies in our attitudes. That's the difference between stewardship and generosity. Stewards act on principle. Generous givers act on a loving character that has been shaped by what they have received from God. In other words, God didn't just give you stuff. God transformed your life. God changed your attitude. God, God took you from where you were and elevated you to a place where you see everything. What, what is it we used to say? I looked at my hands and they looked new. <laughs> looked at my feet and they did. It, 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 it was our way of describing a complete shift in thinking that came about as a result of the touch of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what, 
That's what generosity is. It is a shift in thinking, not merely a shift in behavior. It is recognizing everything that we have comes from God, and it is a blessing to give it away. Let me quote what Schnaz writes in, 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 in this little book. Generosity is an aspect of character. It focuses on the spiritual qualities of the giver derived from the generosity of God rather than on the church's need for money. I'm going to say that again. It focuses on the spiritual qualities of the giver derived from the generosity of God rather than on the church's need for money. It is not a spiritual attribute someone acquires apart from the actual practice of giving. It becomes discernible through action. In other words, you can't tell me you're generous if you don't ever do anything that's generous. Well, you can, but you're lying. It's like when somebody tells you that they love you. You know I love you, right? I love you. By the way, I love you. Did I tell you I love you? Have I told you lately that I love you? <laughs> but you don't ever do anything talk is cheap. that shows up. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. That's, that's the point. And that's the point that, that Schnaz is making here, that you can't say that you're generous. Generosity is seen. He says that generosity is better than stewardship because it's more organic and less formal and less legalistic. Here's the thing. Where do you hear stewardship except in church? For the most part, you don't hear that. You don't hear anything about the concept of stewardship anywhere but in church. And so, consequently, when you talk about stewardship, somebody's gonna ask, somebody who's not a part of the church, and maybe some who are in the church, are going to ask you, what you mean by stewardship? And you have to explain Stewardship. You know what you don't have to explain? Generosity. Folks see generosity. Yeah. Folks know generosity the moment yeah. that they see it. You don't have to go through a dissertation to explain what generosity is. Because generosity comes from a transformed heart. Generosity is listed by Paul as a descriptive of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It stands less in the realm of legalism and formality than does the idea of stewardship. Consequently, it is when we learn how to develop an attitude, a spirit of generosity, that giving becomes a privilege and an honor 
and not a responsibility that we're trying to live up to. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. I want us to look at verses 18 through 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. And now I have it all, and keep getting more. The gifts you sent with Epaphroditus were more than enough, like a sweet-smelling sacrifice roasting on the altar, filling the air with fragrance, pleasing God no end. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. His generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. Yes. That's the message version. Most of us are familiar with the King James Version. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Kept within its context, this is a promise given by God through Paul for generous givers. Paul was making a statement to those who gave a gift of love to him in his time of need. He says it's what God will do in response to the generosity that they expressed. And it's important that we read this passage for what it says and not for what it does not say. This passage does not promise a blank check that we can cash anytime we have a need. It has sometimes been taken to apply to everybody everywhere. That's not who Paul is speaking to. Paul is speaking to those who have given to him out of their generosity. And he's saying, God sees what you have done. God sees how you have blessed me with these love gifts that you have sent to me through Epaphroditus. And in response to your generosity, God is going to show how generous he is. So consequently, it's a promise of God repaying generosity with his own generosity to those who have been generous towards his servants. Here's the key. You can't expect to be repaid for something you ain't done. If you have never been generous, then how can you expect God to repay you for your generosity? It doesn't make sense. The promise here is that God will bless those who have developed an attitude of generosity through their relationship with Jesus Christ. Why did the Philippians send the love gift to Paul in the first place? They were prompted to do so by the Holy Spirit. 
Paul had organized this church. Paul had served in this church. Paul had helped to shape the theology and, and, and the activity of this church. And so when they learned that Paul was in dire straits, Paul was in prison in Rome. When they learned that Paul was in prison, they, they out of their own heart, nobody told them they had to do it. They just decided, we want to do this. And they gathered up what they had and they sent it as a love gift. And Paul was so struck by what he received. He, he, he was so blessed. He was so overwhelmed by what he received that he sends this letter as a thank you for what they have done. But within the thank you, he makes the promise that what you have cast, cast your bread upon the waters, what you have cast will come back to you. And it will come back to you with greater generosity because that's the God that we serve. This is a promise in agreement with what Jesus taught. Turn to Luke. Chapter 6. Verse 38. Give away your life. You'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. This is a promise for generous givers. You give and God will give back to you. We have to understand, of course, that everything that we have came from him in the first place. So when we give to him, we're only giving to him of what he has given to us. But again, it's not about the gift. It's about the attitude of the giver. And it's important that, that, that we recognize that that's what God desires. Our attitude is a part of our relationship. Who wants to be around somebody who just, who just wants to be around you but don't like you? When y'all came in here and sat down today, y'all looked for who y'all were going to sit down next to, didn't you? You ain't got to say amen. The camera ain't on nobody but me. Your faces ain't there. You looked. Some of y'all didn't want to sit by nobody, so y'all found a pew by yourselves. And, and, and you hoped nobody came and sat next to you. But, but you looked to see who was here. You said, oh, so-and-so was here. Let me sit next. To, because it's, your sitting is an outgrowth of your relationship. I got stuff I need to talk to you about. I need to catch up on what's been going on. God wants that with us. God wants relationship. That's far more important to him than anything else. He wants relationship. 
And he says that, that if you have the right attitude, then the relationship will manifest itself in how we treat one another and how we treat him. Consequently, nobody ought to have to tell you what to do for God. You ought to just want to do it. And you ought not get tired of doing it. Because he ain't got tired of blessing you. Every time you breathe, and for, for, forget woke you up this morning and started you on your way. Every time you inhale and exhale, it's a blessing. Because somebody tried to do it. And they couldn't. It's a blessing. He ain't tired of blessing you. Why, why should you get tired of blessing him? Come on, God. You, you don't want no more from me, do you? I just, I just went to church last week. You want me to go again this week, too? Last week was a fifth Sunday. That, that, that's off Sunday. We, we didn't have to go to church. I, I showed you. You should have been glad when I walked in the door. He doesn't get tired of blessing you. He doesn't get tired of giving to you. If, 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 if you have a generous spirit, nobody should have to prompt you to bless God. Nobody should have to cheer you into blessing God. Find three people and shake their hands, high five somebody and tell them what you, you know, nobody should have to do all of that. You ought to do it because you know you ought to do it. And you ought to do it because you're glad to be able to do it. And yes, Paul is saying to the Philippians, you have been generous toward me. You gave out of your poverty. You gave out of your lack. You gave at great cost, at great sacrifice to yourself. And I am grateful for that. Not because of the gift, because remember in this same passage, Paul says, I don't need nothing. I've had plenty. And I've had nothing. I've been belly full and I've been belly empty. And I've learned that, that my contentment doesn't come from what I had. My contentment comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ. So, so it's not that I needed what you gave. I'm grateful that you had a heart to give it. Well, if Paul can say that, if Paul can say he knows he don't need nothing, and surely God knows God don't need nothing. And if God decided that he wanted it, you know what he'd just do? Take it. So it's not about the recipient. It's about the heart of the giver. This is one of the things that, that we need to learn about forgiveness. And I'm only going to branch off for just a second. Our problem with forgiveness is that we focus on the one that we're forgiving and we don't focus on us. Forgiveness is more about us than it is about the one that we're forgiving. They don't deserve my forgiveness. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. You don't want me to take it to God? Let me take it to somebody. Because you done wronged somebody. 
probably done wronged several somebodies. And you don't deserve their forgiveness. It's not about what you deserve. And it's not about what they, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't know. And I'm not trivializing what they did. I'm not dismissing, I'm not diminishing what they did. What I'm telling you is forgiveness is more about you and more about your heart and more about your relationship with God than it is about the person that you're forgiving. It lifts you up. It makes you stronger. It draws you closer. And it gives you a better glimpse of what God did for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever and daddy used to love to hook on whoever, I'm a whoever, I'm a whosoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting. There's a whole lot in whoever. There's a whole lot of low down in whoever. There's a whole lot of no good in whoever. And yet, whoever believes on him is forgiven. And it comes at tremendous cost. But God doesn't have a problem with it because that's the heart of God. And if we have the heart of God, we should recognize that our forgiveness is a reflection on our relationship with him. I'm close enough to God to where I ain't going to let you get in the way. And just as it, I told you I wasn't going to stay on that long. Just as it's true about our forgiveness, it's also true about our giving. Giving is a reflection of our trust in God. That, that anything I give is going to come back. Anything I give, he's going to bless. And when it comes back, it's going to come back with other stuff. Added on top of it. And so he says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Message version, you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. His generosity exceeding even yours in glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. So, where is this return coming from, Paul? He says it's coming from our God. That's, that, that, that's the first thing in recognizing the freedom of generosity. Our God. He, he doesn't just say God. He says our God. God is, 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 is a personal possession of ours. I don't just worship God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. I serve the Lord who lifted me. I have a personal relationship with him. There's a difference between saying the man and saying my man. 
It's difference between saying the woman and saying my woman. It means something entirely different. It involves a personal possession. God is not just God above us. He's God with us. He is our God. And because we have a personal relationship with him, we know that he knows what we need. Well, is there any limit to what he's going to do? He says all. He says everything, everything that you need. He doesn't say everything. Now, let's get straight. He doesn't say everything you want. He says everything you need. Some of us get confused between need and want. Some of us can want stuff so bad that we can convince ourselves that we need it. The promise from heaven is not that you get everything you want, but that you will get everything that you need. And the method of the supply is that it pours out from the glory of Jesus Christ. In other words, it comes to us from the person of who Jesus is. That's the promise. That's the assurance. And Paul says that it comes to us because we have been generous toward him. And that generosity is shown in our generosity towards one another. Got one final thing to say, and then I'm done for today, and y'all can go eat your barbecue. <laughs> We've explained the difference between stewardship and generosity. What's the enemy of generosity? Selfishness. Last thing I want to lift up is that selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Look at verses 24 through 28. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Don't be in such a hurry to go into business for yourself. Before you know it, the Son of Man will arrive with all the splendor of his Father, accompanied by an army of angels. You'll get everything you have coming to you, a personal gift. 
This isn't pie in the sky by and by. I love Peterson. Some of you standing here going to see it take place. See the Son of Man in kingdom glory. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. Generosity always, 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 always involves sacrifice. It demands that we give away with the same satisfaction that we have received. Once again, herein lies the distinction between stewardship and generosity. You can be a good steward, and you can give your stuff away, and you can be grumbling the whole time you're doing it. Or, if you're not a grumbler, you want everybody to know what you, you know what I'm giving up by doing this for you, don't you? I had put this money aside to do something else. But the Lord laid it on my heart to help you with this. So some grumble and some want the whole world to know what it is they're doing. Generosity always involves sacrifice. It always involves giving away. But the generous person gives away with the same level of satisfaction that they received. That's how Jesus served us. That's how he expects us to serve one another. Jesus was willing to generously sacrifice himself. Are we willing to sacrifice for one another? And according to Jesus, this sacrifice involves three things. First, the denial of self. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me leave. You're not in charge. I am. There must be a denial of self. There must be a saying of no to self and saying yes to God every day, all day. It involves a dethroning of self. You know, all of us, if you want to picture it this way, all of us have our own little thrones and our own hearts. Who sits on the throne of your heart? For most of us, the answer is we do. We make our decisions based upon what we think is in our best interest. But when we sacrifice, when, 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 when we practice self-denial, we abdicate the throne of our own hearts. And we invite Jesus to sit there. And then we do what Jesus says do. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity, but because we trust the one who sits on the throne. Yeah. 
Generosity involves self-denial. Generosity involves taking up a cross. You can't be generous and it doesn't cost you anything. Every decision that you make is a decision not to do something else. Because we live in a finite world. And, and so when we decide that we're going to do, we're also deciding that there are several things that we're not going to do. So when we decide that we are going to let Jesus sit on the throne of our hearts, then all the other stuff that we want to do, that we think about doing, we leave that alone. Because you can't, you can't, you can't have him on the throne and then not have him on the throne at the same time. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were asking a question. You, you, you have, it's one or the other. I, I know I've used this example before, and I never served in the military, so for those who have, please don't think I'm being disrespectful. I, I, I think I have this right. The choice to join the military is yours. There ain't no draft no more. Yeah, so, so if you go into the military, you choose to go into the military. But once you get into the military, all the other choices come from somebody else. They decide where you're going to do your basic training. They decide how well you've done your basic training. They decide where you're going to be assigned after your basic training is over. For as long as you are in the service, somebody else is making the decision. Same thing is true when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody made you come to Jesus. Your parents might have made you get baptized, but your parents didn't make you come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is, is an individual choice. Once you come, however, all the other choices are his. And, and, and so saying yes to Jesus means that we're saying no to all of these other things. And sometimes saying yes to Jesus means that we're going to be put in uncomfortable situations. We're going to put in situations where we hurt. We're going to put in situations where we think it's unfair. Do you think God is always fair with you? Compared to how he treats other folk? You know you don't think that. Oh, go, go ahead, be pious. Oh, yes, he's always been fair. He's given me more than You know you don't really feel that way. You look at what somebody else has and how they got it, and in the secret crevices of your heart, you might be afraid to say it, but in the secret crevices of your heart, you saying it ain't right. It just ain't right. You think Job ain't never said, Job finally got to the place where he said, it ain't right, God. And Job ain't the only one. Part, part, part of, part of this, this getting rid of self is recognizing that you're going to suffer. And I get sick of folk who, trying to, who try to preach a bloodless, sufferless gospel. No such thing. And third, he says, you have to follow him. That is, you have to be obedient to what he says. There are two approaches to life. That is, loving our lives or losing our lives. Either you're going to love you, I love me some me, 
Some, some of y'all like to say that. I love me some me. Either, either you're going to love you or you're going to lose you. And loosing you means that you put yourself completely into God's care and trust that he will take care of you. I'm closing, giving you one more quote from Sinead. Y'all need to read this book. It's good and it's short. No stories from scripture tell of people living the God-related spiritual life while fostering a greedy attitude. We never describe people as generous who keep everything for themselves and only serve themselves. Yes, sir. I know you're about to close. Yes. But before you close, I'd like for you all to pray that this city will be generous to those poor children in the park. We are rich. I haven't given it up. And my son needs to be saved. And I'm still saying, keep me in prayer because I'm running. Hallelujah. That God will be generous to these children in the park and get that pool because there are people in this city who could have them to get it, but they stand in the way. But God is answering prayers. Hallelujah. Pray. Y'all might be quiet in here. Praise the Lord. Anyhow. Generosity is a step above stewardship. Because generosity suggests a motivation for our proper stewardship that goes beyond duty or reciprocity. Anybody who thinks that I can give back to God equal to how God gave me, you fooling yourself. Can't be done. But what you can do is, 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 is allow Jesus to not just change your behavior, but change your heart. We're going to be talking about generous giving over the next several weeks. May we stand together, please. Happy Independence Day to all of y'all. Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good afternoon.